Welcome to the Blinkist Podcast. I'm Ben Schumann-Stoller. Today we're doing something different. As you might have heard or seen, we just launched a completely revamped brand here at Blinkist. New logo, new art direction, new features in the app, and a whole bunch of fun extras. So yeah, we decided to do a rebrand. Why? Because we were growing and needed to make sure we knew what we were growing into. Because we had too many voices across too many channels. And because we had outgrown the old brand. Basically, it was time to grow up. As the rebrand project started picking up steam in the late summer this year, I realized this is a really cool opportunity to try and tell the story of a rebrand from the inside, up close and personal. So I started interviewing people around the office. I talked to the founders, people from mobile development, product managers, designers, and more. I spoke to a lot of these people in various meeting rooms at Blinkist. That explains why some of the audio quality you'll hear is a little bit inconsistent. There was some high drama around the office, too. Would we finish it on time? Would Apple and Google feature the app worldwide, as they hinted they might do? How would our users take to the new look and feel of Blinkist? Would they get it? Would they like it? And those are just the big questions. Inside the office, there were other stories, other struggles, and other transformations. This episode of the Blinkist podcast is the story of a rebrand, the story of how the new Blinkist came to be. It all starts around the beginning of 2016. Chapter one, the birth of a rebrand. We, we decided, basically we decided a year ago to, to work on rebranding. It probably started, I don't know, two years ago already. Like I, th- I think from the, I don't know what Nicholas said. Nicholas Jensen and Holger Zeim, two of the Blinkist co-founders, eventually agreed that it all started after they closed a series A of funding last winter. It was just like a feeling that we felt we need to change something. That's Nicholas. We felt that the current brand didn't really reflect the team and the purpose anymore. We felt like it's time to give Blinkist a new look and feel to reflect where we were at. That's Holger. The product, the app, the design, the look and feel, the, the communication around Blinkist, what people see today. By the way, he's talking in September, before the rebrand. What people see today, the foundation for this has been laid down like three years ago. And we've launched a podcast since then, we launched a magazine since then, we have the Blinkist Minute, uh, which has been launched um, a month ago, there, there are more things than just the app Blinkist that help people to learn. Blinkist was going to be four years old this year, and for some time already, people felt that an overhaul was necessary. So we said, okay, now we're focused on the fundraising, um, but after the fundraising, we will we'll be able to hire new people, we'll get in some new talent, some new skills. When I joined Blinkist at the beginning of this year... That's Sarah Moriarty, head of brand marketing. One of the first projects that I worked on was this external rebranding project. So this idea of who are we, what do we stand for, what kind of company are we, and what kind of company do we want to be? At the beginning of the rebrand project, what was clear was that the way people outside of Blinkist saw the company was different than how people inside the company saw what they were doing. That's a pretty dangerous gap, and it can have ramifications across a lot of channels. When I first started at Blinkist, one of my earlier responsibilities up until this day has been writing our newsletter. That's Emily Phillips from Customer Communications and Support. When I began writing it, I took it over from another colleague, Caitlin. And the question of Blinkist's voice, how that either directly or indirectly reflects our brand, was a question from day one. It was like, okay, how are we defining this? Do we have guidelines? And it was more of a... I wouldn't say shooting from the hip by any means, but it was definitely, there wasn't like a definition. We thought we knew how we communicated and what we were communicating, but it was still never quite laid out. One year ago, there was no consistent voice. You know, everything kind of grew organically in the last three years. 
there was a design, there was copy on the webpage, there were uh, banners on Facebook, there was the app, and email, the weekly emails, and we tried to unify it here and there, but it was all, let's unify this here, or let's rework this, but it wasn't like, you know, this whole, let's get together, let's ask ourselves, who are we? Who do we want to be? How do we want people to perceive us? Chapter two, part one. What in the world is a strategic brand? How do we want people to perceive us? One way you can influence how people perceive you or your company, of course, is to just agree within the company on who you are and who you want to be and what you do and what you want to be doing. Or we could use the buzzwords, I guess. You need to align on strategic brand values. But since most companies don't have the resources to stop what they're doing, do a whole bunch of market research to figure out how they're perceived, they hire fancy branding agencies to do it for them. Blinkist did that too. So once we decided for one agency, we, we collected a team of six or seven people from Blinkist from different teams and different backgrounds. That's co-founder Nicholas Janssen again. Had a creative opening workshop with the agency where we collected our input and shared our thoughts on the typical Blinkist customer and the Blinkist purpose. From there, the agency took it and kind of like helped us define our four P's, which are purpose, promise, positioning, and um, personality. So we took the input from the agency and we refined it in our own ways. I think probably like four or five people sitting in front of a Google Doc and fighting about words. Um, it was a really fun experience, especially if you have Germans and Americans fighting <laughs> about kind of like the fine lines, what one word can mean, and for a German means something else and for an American. So this was really fun. <clears throat> I'm Caitlin and I do stuff with words at Blinkist. So um, app copy, brand marketing stuff, articles, various on our blogs. We, we had a series of meetings and then it was me and our core brand values, which our agency did help us nail down, and our personas and me looking at those and deciding how we would talk to those different constituencies and what the core branding messages were for each of them where there was overlap, where there was not. I also wrote a tagline. The agency was cool. They really seemed to get us, and Caitlin liked working with them. They helped us express who we feel we are and picture who our users are, who we're talking to. There was a buzz in the office every time our team met with them. So Caitlin got to work. She started taking branding messages, user personas, all the brand possibilities, and started making a foundation out of it. She describes them as kind of like geographical features. I would describe what I've been working on, if all of those are, let's say, mountains and, and rivers and little houses, what I've been working on is the terrain they build them on. Stuff that, that informs how you'll build a foundation, that informs whether or not, I don't know, you can do a three-story house here, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and what it has to look like on the outside. You're not going to build, I don't know, a teepee on the side of a blizzardy mountain, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's helping to, to set the landscape for the people who need to design things that will live in it and make sense. I asked Caitlin why this foundation, why shaping this idea of us in the world really matters for the company. I started this section by asking how people perceive us and how we want to be perceived. Do we really have to go that deep when we think about how the company, how Blinkist comes across to others? Is that really necessary? I didn't mean to make that such an existential question, but I realized pretty quickly that, well, Caitlin can say it better. Look, we've talked about this before when you've asked me, what is a brand? Why do people get so scared of it? Like, what, why, are, why is a rebrand scary? Because when you decide to use a product, when you decide that you like something or you don't, you're deciding based upon whether or not you want to make that personal association. 
There's a reason when you were a kid that you befriended some kids in the playground and others you were like, whoa, you were not cool enough for me. Um, deciding whether you like, like a brand or not is a very personal choice. And people get nervous about rebrands and people react very strongly to say new logos because they've developed feelings about these brands. A brand is so much more than a logo or a color or a typeface. It's a whole world of feelings and associations that you can't really control. When it comes to a brand, how a company is perceived, how people feel when they interact with it, that's everything. So you need to decide what your brand values are. And for that, the agency was a big help. And that covers a lot. But that's not enough because the brand values don't mean anything if the company, the product, the people in the company don't internalize those brand values also. That would be like some organic brand selling dubious bacon. You'd just be at risk again of what Emily and Holger talked about. A newsletter saying one thing and a Facebook post saying another. So when you have brand values, they represent something specific and something important about the brand that you have, but also about the brand that you want to be. That's Sarah Moriarty again. She's talking about how to implement the brand values that Caitlin talked about, but in a way that makes actual impact, both inside the company and outside of it. People can keep them in their mind and use them, draw on them all the time in every single thing that they do every day. So that whenever a user, a prospective user, or somebody who just hears about Blinkist and decides to visit us for, whether it's the website, whether it's on social media, whether it's um, opening up the app, whether it's receiving a push notification, they feel something like a human touch. So the point of the values is that people are all thinking in the same way when they do their disparate tasks. So there's a uniformity in the feeling for anyone whenever they come to Blinkist. Thanks to the agency and a few people from different parts of the company, the team was really redefining Blinkist and doing it in a way that everyone in the company could get behind. This rebrand thing didn't seem so hard after all. So next up was a new logo. Everyone was pretty excited. It's a new look. It's the logo. It's like the face of the brand. What would the agency come up with? So the initial of the old logo, the logo that, that you see right now, is still kind of has been inspired by a book. And, and we wanted to, to yeah, leave that focus on books. So that's why you see the new logo will not have a relation to books anymore. And it's not only about the logo, it's also about the communication about it. What is a promise to users? Chapter 2, Part 2. Fine, we'll do it ourselves. Once we had nailed the communications, we started working on, on a new logo and a new art direction. We started doing this with the agency again, but really soon we realized, okay, this is not going to happen. We're not going to get to a result that we're happy with. So we decided to do it internally and assembled again, 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 like another team of creative people from Blinkers to work on the, on the new logo and art direction. So, we had no logo and didn't want to start all over with another expensive agency. We were all on our own. This was back in the spring, in March. And at the middle of it all was one of the designers, Natalia Piana. In March, I think they were supposed to have a final like outcome. And then we, we weren't happy with the three, like they had three main direction and none of them were like very, either very like fantastic or not even convincing. Mm -hmm. So I think Nicholas freaked out a little bit and I was there, I happened to be there. Um, and it was just like, okay, let's fix what they have. Then we realized it didn't work, like just fixing what they produce. So we had to start over and we came out with a structure, with a process, with workshops, and then 
<laughs> were you freaking out? I freaked out many times during you the. Really, you were really. Nervous. I really felt the pressure. Yeah. What were you afraid of? Well, first of all, you're designing for us, so the main fear was like everybody's gonna be unhappy or like not many people are gonna like embrace it. Like the logo is kind of the. Here's co-founder Holger Syme again. Most important piece of this, like everything from the brand comes down to that logo. So it's probably one of the most important results of that rebranding. So and everyone, including me, was, had a really strong opinion about the logo. So I provided ideas and opinions, which sometimes made uh, uh, Natalia's life easier and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes harder. But I tried to be supportive in that way, but also tried to, like it was, I think, important for everyone involved that in the end we have something that we can be excited about. Not something where we say, well, okay, it's nicer than the old logo, but um, yeah, maybe not exciting, but it's okay enough. I wanted it to be great. Now you get why Natalia was feeling the pressure. Natalia started with, started with a few different concepts. That's Samish Pantam, one of the other designers, talking about how the process worked, how they scrambled to make a logo themselves from scratch. What exactly does Blinkist personify? So we had this idea of filtering something into something that's valuable, like a bunch of information or an infinite thing into something finite. I was the one probably in charge of like creating and producing visuals, but without them, we probably would have ended up with like something completely different, like if it was just on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, so it was good because they put me in the right path or in the correct path. Like some days where I was trying to um, come up with like concept even like way uh, late in the process so it's like maybe I can do something else maybe I can come up with a, a librarian maybe I can come up with an animal or something <laughs> else and so I just like focus on what I already had and uh, just listen more to like what they liked what they were what they thought was strong so then she developed a system that like led her to this final logo and if you look at the logo, it has a very specific, um, it's very simple, but also it's very harmonic in the sense that it's got this negative space, a positive space, and very geometric, modular structure. Wait, I want you to hear Natalia explain this herself. Okay, the white space, so like the canvas space, it's the, the outer world. So the world we live in, full of inputs, full of information, probably too many complex um, notions that we need to digest and intake. The green represents the Blinkist people. So the different circles, like individual coming together, getting together in circles, which is our structure, and working together. And then uh, on the top, there's this uh, negative space triangle, like a filter which is there because all the information from the canvas go in and gets filtered into this like darker area which is the essence, this distilled, um, all the concentrated darker uh, valuable information which is placed there in the middle, in the heart of the green area <laughs> and it's there in focus. Do you like it? Are you happy? With I like it. I, I'm, I'm happy now. I'm, I think it, like conceptually it's really strong. But this, this is a whole story behind. It's simple. Uh, it's impactful, I think. And yes, I think it's, it's Blinkist. It's bold. It's like not like just some other app or some other... It's a bold design, which I like. It's a, it's a bold statement. Um, 
And I think people, most people would be excited about it. Now, there was a new challenge. The designers had pushed themselves and worked their magic to translate Blinkist potential into a beautiful new visual language. It was time to update the apps, iOS, Android, and the web to reflect that. Oh, and when Apple got wind of it and Google, they promised a global feature. That would mean a surge of new users. It also meant new deadlines and more pressure. Chapter three, the apps. So once we, we knew we're going to have a new brand or like an updated brand, the question was how we're going to unveil it to the public. And for us, it's very important that the new brand is reflected in the apps as well. That's co-founder Nicholas Janssen again. So we just didn't want to paint a new, the app in new colors, but we really want to improve the apps as well for our customers. So yeah, we made a plan for what kind of like we want to improve, what features we want to add, what we want to remove to make the product better. And from there on, we started working on improving the apps. Getting this project organized fell to Evelyn Matsko. I'm Evelyn and I'm product manager. I work in the mobile product team. Evelyn's goal was twofold. Update the app with new features so that Blinkers could relaunch as a new brand and have cool new features that users could actually use and convince Apple and the Google Play Store to feature the app worldwide when it came out. I spoke to Evelyn in early October, a few weeks before the launch, and she described how they planned to do that. So we met in July. This was um, basically all laid out in July. What um, we did was reach out to Apple. We told them, hey, we're planning something big. You featured us before. You never featured us in the US, but hey, we know why. We had our flaws. We weren't really a mainstream app. So we showed them basically the new brand, some very first mockups about how the app will look. They liked it and they said, yeah, um, we'll consider it. Send us a test flight version one month before. So we said, sure, one month before. And so this is our first big deadline, basically. Of course, the team knew there was no way they could produce a test flight version that would have the functionality of the completed app one month before the actual launch. So they had to define the scope of what they'd show Apple. What has to be there is the very first impression that Apple will get. The very first impression, of course, is the onboarding experience. So we had to do the onboarding experience. We had to do the Discover screen, and um, we had to show which new features we wanted to give the users with this rebranding, which would be the for you, the personal recommendations, which is a new thing, or the curated lists. Um, we didn't have functionality behind this feature, so the personal recommendations weren't actually yet personal recommendations. But for Apple to get the features, they just needed the headline and, and know how it looks. So, so that's cool. That's like, um, it's so thought out. It's so structured. It's kind of like, um, I'm going to build a bookshelf at home or something. You guys knew what you were going to build and like the details of like what kind of wood or how it's going to connect to the wall or something was like more or less also decided? I think it's a hard, hard comparison because as I said, I mean, you know, like it should look, but in the end you don't, you're not thinking about every detail you can't. So a bookcase, building a bookcase is a really good example from somebody who doesn't appreciate the, the specific complications. <laughs> <laughs> the deadlines were, I would say, massaged a little bit, but about a week before the relaunch, Apple requested feature artwork. That was a good sign. Here's a tape of a weekly meeting discussing what that could mean. The other voices that you'll hear in here are Claire from Content, Steven from Mobile Dev, and Toby, another co-founder and the CTO. So we submitted, we approved mm -hmm. on iOS. 
it looks like that we get the feature. So they requested the artwork. Exactly, they requested the artwork. They had an unusual long session for the review. I think it's a good sign. I guess we will get the feature. Just a question if we will get it in the US. I mean, the German feature we had like 10 times, 100 times already. We'll get it in Kazakhstan. <laughs> I was in that meeting too. What I remember is that it was a bit strange to feel like something so big, something we were all working on, was out of our hands. But a global feature is a big deal. Our numbers show that we get like 10 times as many impressions. That's people seeing our logo, our new logo, when we get a feature in an app store. So what would happen if after all this work we don't get featured? I asked Nicholas. Then the thing is I'm not afraid of. I would be disappointed, but I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> Just like the world will go on and we work hard to kind of like provide them another reason to feature us in the future. Everyone was really excited about the possible App Store feature, but they also knew that focusing only on the feature was kind of missing the point. The point of the rebrand wasn't to make money fast. It was, as Holger said when we talked, to build a platform. I don't have the expectation that after the relaunch, all our metrics are going to look 10x <laughs> better and this will solve all the challenges we're facing and this will just make everything so much smoother and easier, but I see it rather as a, as a good um, consolidation of what, we, what, what was in our minds, and that's it. And it's a good platform, a good starting point to now you know, start developing that bigger picture and start to, to take the next 10x step um, for the company. In any case, it was already October, and everyone was trying to finish their things before the launch. Chapter 4, Crunch Time. A lot of the last few weeks before the launch were about preparing how we'd tell people about the new Blinkist. At one point, Caitlin sent a document around the office called Thoughts Behind In-App Rebrand Language Brush-Up. Here's a choice quote. Blinkist is getting older, inside and out. We are moving into grown-up territory now, and our app is too. And that document was about how we're going to communicate to people. Meanwhile, every page had to be updated with the new visual identity and communication, even the emojis. Well, it's basically, you know, obviously um, we've been discussing a lot of sort of what sort of voice and tone are we putting out there when we're saying something. That's Lotta Cortelio, a social media intern. She's talking about the level of granularity the communications had reached. Emojis obviously can enforce, like, what you're saying through an emotion. Um, so therefore we can't just use any emojis because we have certain brand values that we want to you know, bring through. So we can't just put like the poop emoji. <laughs> so yeah, no poop emoji, no guns either. All around the company, people were preparing for the launch. Mobile developers were trying to find bugs. Designers were finalizing how everything would look. CRM was preparing a teaser campaign. The newsletters were fixed up. Even tech got involved behind the scenes. They ran smoke tests to see how the servers would handle a potential big influx of new users in the case of a big app store feature. So the launch was basically upon us. Everyone was getting excited, and Teresa, our head of events, made an announcement a day before the launch. We're having a little launch event um, for yeah. the rebranding. Uh, so it's a, a mix of people, it's about 16 to 20, um, a mix of Instagrammers, um, press people, and startup folks from Berlin. Um, and we'll do a little launch brunch event for them in the eatery. Uh, I know you're all super busy, um, so I'm not expecting you to join, but of course there will be um, stuff for you to eat as well. Um, just so you know that there will be people in the eatery tomorrow. 
Chapter 5. Let's hope this works. So we're about to ship the RSM now. So let's count on from five. <laughs> five. Four. Three. Two. Well, it takes 15 minutes for the distribution of the app store, so I still have to wait a bit, but yeah. The pressing of the button is actually sort of anticlimactic. When the iOS team sent off the test version of the app to Apple for review, they had this big countdown, then hit the button, and the thing took like 30 very awkward seconds to load. Anyway, there's usually too much going on. Execution in reality is tense, painful, minute, sloggy. It's not as glamorous as pressing like a big shiny button and a bunch of confetti and streamers flying all over the place. You pressed all the buttons today? Yes, we did. How did it go? Not sure. <laughs> um, we're just waiting for the reception and Apple to give us some feedback and maybe feature us. Are you happy with how it went today? I feel relieved because the big part is over. Then there's a lot more to do, but like with more calm, I guess. Are you happy? Okay. <laughs> In the end, Blinkist did get a global feature. We just didn't realize it was going to be the week of Halloween. So in the U.S. iTunes store, for example, while the app was featured in the education section, it was always going to be impossible to make it onto the front page because it was all just Halloween stuff. It was games and stickers and stuff like that. Lots of pumpkins. But then yesterday we took a look at the numbers. And now, with the week-long feature almost over, we've seen three times as many installs as a usual week. And the app wasn't just featured in the U.S. iTunes Store, but also in the Google Play Store. In the end, the app was featured in nine countries, but not at all in Kazakhstan, I think. I'll have to check the numbers. Um, we are so happy that you came to be with us today for this relaunch. We have been working on it for a really long time, and we're very proud of it. I keep thinking about something that Caitlin told me. A rebrand is like a struggle for identity. You create your identity but that's not easy. We forget about how hard that was as an adolescent when we were growing up. A company is maybe even harder to build an identity for because you have to have some 40 people moving together as one. If a company is its people, then the new brand just reflects Blinkist better. It somehow feels more like us. Plus, it gives us more space to express ourselves further. People talk about having a brand that reflects not just who you are, but what you want to be. And that way, the way the rebrand went down here is a reflection of Blinkist trying to fulfill its potential. We took things in our own hands and did it in our own way, in our own style. And people actually like it. How cool is that? Today's Blinkist podcast was produced by me, Ben Schumann-Stoller, and Odie Constantino, who once built his own documentary video camera out of a bag of upcycled sneakers. If you enjoyed what you heard today, think about passing it around to people who you think might also enjoy it. And leave us a review at the iTunes store or wherever you're listening right now. You can also email me. I'm at podcast at Blinkist.com if you have any feedback, questions, or thoughts about today's episode or the podcast in general. Today's episode was really fun to make. Kind of an adventure. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and thanks for listening all the way to the end. Stay tuned for a few really great interviews in the next weeks. I talked to Ari Mizell and Dan Ariely, and it's going to be a cool way to wind down 2016. In the meantime, be good. This has been Checking Out. <laughs>